welcome to Waiting for Review, a show about iOS development and the Apple ecosystem. From Wellington, New Zealand, I'm Dave Wood, and joining me from Devon, England, is Dave Knott. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's definitely good to be back with internet. Oh, that's good. The field was good. Frankly, it was a godsend having it because, you know, everywhere else on the park was pretty dicey for signal. Right. It was odd because I'd get one bar of 3G and one bar of 4G occasionally, but even with that, it just wouldn't do anything. Like you'd go to load a page in Safari and you'd just get, it would get to like, I don't know, about a, a fifth of the way along and it would just stop on the little loading bar thing. Right. Yes. It's not really got the connection. No, no. And it, it kind of, it's kind of, it seemed like I needed at least two bars of signal for anything to reliably work. And luckily in the field, I kind of had two slash three. Just enough. Super glad I had all that data as well, because had I been on my old two gigabyte plan, that would have, um, just streaming the Apple event alone would have finished me off. So that was like three point something gig, and then obviously the podcasting that came afterwards as well clocked in at another three hundred ish, I'd say, all in. Yeah, that's without sending the files as well, actually. So probably a lot more than that. Yeah, and then any other usage that you might have done. <laughs> Once I was tethered, uh, my MacBook was kind of doing stuff as well. Like iCloud Drive decided to download a load of stuff because I accidentally hit save on something, and it decided to upload something and right all of that. So yeah, yeah, because um, it doesn't know the difference at that point. No, I did download something called Trip Mode, oh, okay. which allows you to basically app by app say what can use data when you're tethered. Yep. But then the trial ran out, and then it's just kind of time to go home. So I haven't actually bought that yet, but I think I probably should do for when I go away next. Yeah, that come in handy. Did make me think, kind of that you know, like cellular Max would be a really good idea, a really good idea. I would definitely get one. I think if it yeah. were an option. For a hundred dollars, I would yeah, be, I'd be, yeah, give me the cellular version, right? Um, yeah, I can just see it being really handy. It's funny, isn't it? Because the the only device like that at the moment is is the um, cellular iPads. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, I have feelings about the iPad, but um, it does it would it does make sense that cellular is an option because I, I know tethering kind of just works for yeah. the most part, but it is a faff and. There was one slash two occasions where it just locked up on me. Right. Um, luckily, it wasn't while we were recording. It was uh, when I was going to send you some audio, I think, from the uh, from the internet field. And yeah, it just stopped working all of a sudden. Like nothing would load. The connection just seemed dead. And I had to turn personal hotspot off, then on again on the phone and reset the Wi-Fi on the Mac. Then it established a new connection and it's fine. But yeah, I guess that link between the Mac and the phone is just one more point of failure, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is, and I mean, like a few things can happen there. If if the the phone loses connection, for example, um, which might have been your the case for you at that point, then it might sort of collapse its state on the other side, um, kind of in, inelegantly. You know, the Mac's got the connection to the phone. The phone's trying to to manage its connection out and then it's just not doing the bridge in between or you know various other iterations of of that really as you say it's just another point of failure uh it's, it's annoying because it's that sort of like well just turn it off and on again you know and that fixes it that that makes it restart everything uh but yeah as soon as you've got that in the mix that that's something you've got to contend with no, I think I'd definitely, definitely, definitely pay the extra. Even if it was like 200 I think I'd probably pay it. If you were going to be sort of on the move all the time kind of thing. Yeah, well, when you think about, you know, what a laptop is, it's kind of a machine for on the go, right? So it kind of makes sense that yeah, you, know, you can have a cellular connection. That I think it would be awesome. I really do. 
Um, again, I, I know tethering's there and it's a thing and it works, but having it baked in just feels nice for some reason. No, I, I, I could see that. Um, I, I've had work machines way back when, you know, Windows laptops uh, with built-in sort of SIM. And yeah, it's definitely, definitely useful. I think um, one of the things that we would need for Mac OS would be that, that sort of um, on the software side, just just that management of of how apps are accessing the network while you're on cellular. Yeah, you know, the, the ability to sort of restrict mobile data, kind of iOS style, but but with a Mac OS sort of slant on on what those channels are, I think we'd need that. Yeah, because you could do some serious damage with a Mac, couldn't you? If you've got a big app doing something that you know requires a lot of data. Well, yeah, I mean, like you were saying before, just just iCloud kicking in and then deciding to go and, you know, try and sync a 200 meg file or something, just boom, straight off. Not that much when you're on Wi-Fi, but could be quite a lot on your whatever mobile tariff you're on. Yeah, or if like the App Store decides to start downloading a 5 gig update or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That that's That's one sort of side, I guess, that iOS has a lot of that sort of stuff built in if you want to kind of um, lock it down. But then on the other side, it kind of kind of becomes a bit of a blunt tool as well. You know, I mean, I've got my mobile data restricted for a lot of the apps on my phone just because my tariff that we're on here um, is reasonably limited. I've, I've got three gig and I use it a lot when I'm on my bus journeys. You know, I mean, mo- most months that's fine, but some months I kind of go over that limit and that's irritating. So I lock everything down, but I'll install a new app. I'll be trying something different. Um, something might have background fetch. I've had this with a podcasting app recently, and then I find out that it's been sort of, you know, using my mobile data because I've not turned it off, so I have to be on it. Um, not so, it's not such a problem, really, for what I'm doing, but I could imagine, again, if you're on a Mac and you're dealing with bigger data volumes in general through the OS, then, yeah, you, you really would want some good controls around that. It's interesting how you say data now. <laughs> yeah, figured out. Accent. I think I say it about three different ways at the moment. You're saying it data just then yeah. a minute ago. Yeah, it says data. There's data. There's data. There's data. <laughs> um, yeah, I shift all over the place on that one. It's so funny because I used to be a data analyst or a data manager <laughs> uh, way back when. So I was saying data every day, and now to sort of say data is a bit, a bit weird. I've got some, I guess we could call it follow-up. <laughs> I think it's the first time we've ever had follow-up. Just a couple of tidbits that have come out since um, we recorded last week. Other people, other people may well be aware of them by now, but I've only recently sort of come about um, a couple of bits. MacBook Pro quietly got a bit of an update, believe it or not. I missed that. Yeah, well, I did. I mean, it's, it's barely an update. But they, um, they're going to be putting the Vega GPUs in the 15-inch, I believe, as an option come late November. Oh, wow. So that's the same architecture chip that is in the iMac Pro. Yeah. Obviously, it's going to be a, a mobile version, so nowhere near probably what you'd get in the, uh, in the iMac, no doubt. But they say it will deliver 60% faster graphics. So yay for that, I suppose. Um, yeah, that's cool. No idea what the pricing is going to be. I looked on apple.com earlier you know where they give you the two models so like the entry model uh, entry 15 inch and like the one that's you know a few hundred pounds more yeah on the entry level when i clicked on it i couldn't see any mention of this vega cpu 
and I didn't realize it wasn't coming out until late November at the time. Um, then I clicked on the more expensive model. Then it had, you know, where they tell you, you know, you can spec up the CPU and the RAM and the GPU. They had it in kind of smallish print saying, you know, new up, new updates or something will be coming in late November. So it seems right. on that basis that you can only put the Vega in if you start with the most expensive model to spec up. That's That sounds about right. Does the lower end model, um, it has a discrete GPU as well, doesn't it? It does, but yeah, yeah um, I guess I think it's like a five sixty, and, and let's say the one above has a five seventy. Yep, it's like the base, and then you can put in the Vega in place of the more on you know, the more expensive model if you want to. Yeah, so I feel um, a little bit out of touch on what's going on in the fifteen inch with the graphics cards, to be honest with you. But I remember a couple of years or so ago, the the lower model of the fifteen inch was a, a um, integrated GPU only. Yeah. So that sort of differentiation on the GPU between the two choices has has been around for a little while. Uh, so having having the Vega on the 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 more expensive one, and then it being a configurable thing on top of that, I guess that makes sense. I wonder if they'll drop the uh, drop the price slightly though, or do anything like that with it to sort of reflect any of that. Um, I don't think so. I think it's just an option that you can tick on them if you start with the more expensive um, sort of pre-configured model. Right, so it becomes another notch above. Yeah, that's all it is. It's not like a thing that comes by default. Yeah, so on the entry level, you get the Radeon Pro 555X, and on the uh, the model up, you start with the Radeon Pro 560X. Yep. And then that you can swap out for a Vega if you want. So in both cases, you get a discrete GPU. Um, so on the base model, you're not relying on a, on a built-in one. I personally don't think it would bother me that much. I, I feel, I said a little while ago, I just don't really... I feel really out of touch with graphics cards and things like that, and I just find I don't really need it. Um, yeah. as, long, as long as Mac, as long as Mac OS moves along smoothly, and you know, that's fine. Really, <laughs> it's kind of like an occasionally play Counter Strike, which basically my 2010 MacBook Pro can just about do that. So <laughs> anything new these days will definitely do that. I would imagine. So yeah, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm fine with whatever comes in the base. Yeah, I'm very very similar these days, to be honest with you, and I think part of that is. Um, I'm just not doing I don't do games so I really don't miss them on the Mac um, and I'm not really doing anything like Unity or, or sort of heavy duty sort of uh, VR orientated development or anything like that yeah, so same. yeah for, for general use and Xcode and app development yeah GPUs just the integrated ones sort of see me fine to be honest with yeah. you yeah, that makes sense. Um, also, you know the um, the Blackmagic eGPU. Yes, yeah. Uh, that's there's a new model of that available as well that comes with a Vega fifty six, whatever that is. Again, <laughs> just showing how out of touch we are. Um, <laughs> but it's available and it's twelve hundred dollars if you want it. Ooh, fair enough. <laughs> looking at looking at the comments, people are like outraged instantly because apparently it's twice the price of what it should be or, or something. But... Yeah, yeah, and, and well. Therein lies the reason they're not marketing a um, eGPU enclosure of their own that lets you just plug a new card in, right? That's, yeah, uh, yeah you, you get the supported one, you get this this alien egg-looking thing that sits on your desk, but it, it's sealed. That that frustrates me quite a bit, to be honest. I sort of feel like, you know, if, if I was going to have an eGPU, I would want it to, to just be an enclosure. So when the cards yeah. update, I can just update it. You know, I think you can get those, can't you? Yeah, yeah, you can. Um, I, I do think that 
it depends on which model of enclosure you get as to how great it is in terms of sort of reliability. I guess that's what you're paying for, isn't it? With something like the Black Magic, you're just having an out of the box solution. You can pop on the desk, plug in a lead, and it will work. And if it doesn't, you can probably complain and send it back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, th- I think bear in mind that I sort of frequent a lot of the uh, the video artist f- um, forums and Facebook groups and that sort of stuff. So I see a sort of a lot of the um, kind of screams about this sort of technology on those, and and the problems are usually things like. Uh, it, it's not getting recognised by the by the Mac, and so you're sort of stuck just with with you know you've, you've got a gig, and you want this thing to connect out to different projectors, and and it's just not picking up properly. Um, right. That's that's been some of the issues with some of the enclosures, which is why they're not really recommended by those people for sort of supporting shows where it's you know quite quite literally a show stopping event if it doesn't work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so. Yeah, um, but I mean, you know, the, the top of the end 15-inch MacBook Pro is more than capable for that sort of work. So I, I think that's that's the route a lot of people are, are going for if they want a Mac. That makes sense. Um, speaking of facts and figures and stuff still, did you um, see the Mac Mini benchmarks that came out, the Geekbench stuff? I've I've seen kind of just the headlines of them and kind of gone, yep, yep, I'm looking at that. That, that kind of looks like that will suit me quite well at some point as a, a machine for home yeah i mean looking at the one that they um benchmarked uh the configuration would cost 16.99 in dollars uh, right so again <laughs> swap the currency symbol in pounds uh what did that score 5512 single core and 23516 for multi core which uh i believe outperforms the 5k iMac i'm running at the minute so yeah yeah i'd say that's pretty respectable Okay, so that's that's funny because thinking back to our discussions before on the Mac Pro and where that might be going in the modular Mac Pro, I can remember that that we hit a point in discussion where we were talking about what level the Mac Pro would come in at. And I can remember reaching this kind of view that, that the Mac Pro itself price-wise needs to kind of come in at a point where it's sort of edging out hackintoshes and, and being quite good for sort of that yeah. end, end of the arena and so price-wise you kind of want it to be just less than an iMac at least so that it sort of justifies okay there's this thing there's this box that's reasonably powerful and i can stick my own monitor on it otherwise you know you may as well sort of get into having the iMac and and what's the point so it's interesting because it looks like the Mac Mini, with its update, is sort of occupying that kind of um, that that sort of space, you know. Which I guess, looking at everything about it that they've sort of said about it in the events and that sort of thing, that's exactly what they're aiming for. You know, it's hobbyists, it's people who want that bit more grunt, but they don't necessarily want to be tied to the the IMAX monitor. Yeah, I sort of feel like that that niche, that a low end Mac Pro could have been occupying is now quite well filled by the mini with this update kind of bodes well and quite interesting for whatever that mac pro could be sort of over the course of next year you know because it's got to be something else yeah it's got to be another level on hasn't it yeah funny though you say about hackintoshes the way they're putting the t2 chip and everything i think hackintoshes pretty soon are going to be um a thing of the past because they could quite easily say that from mac os 10.15 let's say 
for security reasons, we can only support Macs that have got the T2 chip. Yep. And then that basically puts an end to it, right? Yeah, after a point. And, and I think that means... Um, I'm not sure they would go that aggressive because if you're not careful, you, you, you would lose the backwards compatibility with the non-T2-enabled Macs as well. So they would need to kind of think about what that looks like. Well, that's what I mean. Once enough time has passed, it's kind of like, well, these non-T2s are now cut off from the latest Mac OS. Yeah. Um, and they're kind of vintage anyway. So anything new that we're selling has got a T2 in it. Therefore, the OS can require it. And Hackintosh is it's going to be a lot harder. I mean, I won't say it's going to be impossible. No doubt someone will come out with a little thing that you can plug in or something, <laughs> or some box of tricks that can get around yeah. it maybe. But yeah, it's going to get a lot, lot harder, I would say. I could see it being, I could see it being like that there's more and more things you can't do on a Hackintosh, you know, in the same sort of way as people have to get the right chipset for their, their Wi-Fi uh, card and that sort of thing to enable handoff and bits of yeah. iMessage as well. Right. Um, you know, you really do need to match the the chipsets in some setups to make sure that these things work. If you're going to build build a Hackintosh, I could see the T2 kind of occupying that that sort of space. You know, there's more and more stuff that you just can't do. Well, doesn't the T2 handle the boot? Yeah, yes, I guess. <laughs> like you say, once once the the other Macs hit vintage, then yeah, that, that's a, a switch they can flip. Yeah, I think I'm thinking more like sort of secure enclave. And that kind of stuff, you know, if we saw um, a yeah, Touch yeah. ID enabled external keyboard, for example, I can imagine it, it could only work with T2 enabled Macs. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Final bit of follow up <laughs> is the uh, the MacBook Air. We got some benchmarks on that yesterday or the day okay. before. Um, so safe to say I, I won't be getting one. Um, it's <laughs> 4,200 single core, 7,800 multi. So that would be a... Yeah, quite a severe downgrade, I think, if I went down that route. So, not for you. Um, yeah, it's no surprise, really. Um, you know, given the, the the chips they're using, I know I said I'd keep an open mind, but I kind of thought, well, there's no way I'm really going to get one. <laughs> so, <laughs> at least at least that's been answered. <laughs> Hooray! That A12X. Have you seen? You must have seen the benchmarks for that. That's incredible. I couldn't believe that when I saw those numbers on the on the iPad Pro. Yeah, yeah, flipping yeah, awesome. Phenomenal um, figures sort of coming out of that initially. What was it? it as um, something I can't remember the exact numbers, but I remember when I read it, I I, I thought it was like a prank, and because um, I think it either just about matches or outperforms my iMac. And I know it's just a thin, uh, synthetic benchmark, so there is that to be considered. But crikey, that is good going, right? <laughs> yeah. It just feels like the iPad Pro chips are starting to reach this position where they're really quite powerful and they're kind of edging out the the Macs to sort of either side of them in, in the placement at the moment. You know, like if you sort of think about that compared to the um, to the MacBook Air, how does that chalk up? 5,030 for single core and 17,995 on multi-core right so that that on those metrics that smokes the macbook air yeah what did i say the Mac, what did i say the macbook air four thousand something and, and seven thousand eight hundred for the the multi-core wow yeah okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes it does <laughs> yeah, um, four thousand two hundred crikey yeah yeah and the macbook air's got a fan <laughs> and the ipad doesn't 
Yeah. And it's obviously got a much smaller thermal envelope that it's working within. I was just thinking if they were to strap a fan to one of those chips and could run it hotter and hotter for longer. Yeah. Yeah. Again, this whole thing, everything, I just, I see this stuff and I think this is amazing, but I always see it through the lens of what if we got this in a Mac? What would that mean? Yeah. So you, um, you want it to come across. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Assuming that kind of the, the results that we're seeing in benchmarks can translate into real world performance as well. Yeah. I, th- I think it could be incredible and not to mention, I guess you'd see a battery life improvement with the move to arm as well versus an Intel chip. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot we don't know, obviously, but yeah, the, the whole thing is just incredibly exciting, I think. I think um, that sort of convergence, I mean, obviously it, it, it's been rumoured and it looks like it's you know, reasonably obvious as a next step now that Apple are going to sort of start bringing the Macs over to their own chips. Uh, but I still feel like we're we're an OS release at least away from that sort of being a great thing. Right, it kind of feels like there's a load of other bits that that macOS would need to do to sort of facilitate it quite well. So I'm thinking along the lines of um, part of the the battery life benefit that the iPad has is because of iOS, and it's because of the way apps are, are managed over on iOS as well. You know, we to to keep that, if you like, we we would need macOS to behave similarly in some fashion. So yeah, it, it sort of feels to me like. The chips coming over isn't just about the chip being here and being able to be sort of cranked up and then used it with with Mac OS in a Mac. It kind of feels like, yeah, we need a bit of both, you know, so there's a bit more convergence to sort of happen to sort of really make that work really nicely. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I don't know how I feel about that overall. Like, how far do we, how far do we go down that route before Mac OS is basically iOS? if you sort of see what I mean. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Which I which I don't necessarily mind, uh, provided I can still do the things that I find macOS really powerful for. I I don't know. I, I keep thinking about this a lot, and I don't see that one has to become the other. I, I would like it so that, you know, the Mac can be the Mac for what the Mac is great for, and equally the iPad can be the iPad for what the iPad is great for. This kind of notion that the iPad needs to turn into some kind of laptop, um, I don't really get. Okay, um, yeah. I mean, I, lo- I love the iPad in the sense that it could be a great kind of creative tool in terms of using the pencil, and there might be certain things where a touch-based uh, interface would work better. And I'd kind of like the two to coexist, I, I, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, and maybe Marzipan can aid that to some degree. Yeah, maybe just the evolution of the kind of core OS over time could aid that to some degree, but nevertheless, it could still be very much a Mac, and the iPad could be very much an iPad. I don't know. I, I, I was listening to—I forget what I was listening to. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and they were talking about the um, the bridge keyboard. Have you seen the bridge keyboard for the iPad? Yes. Yeah, turns it into like a sort of MacBook style device, right? It's like a very sort of if you imagine the base of a macbook it's kind of very much like that and it's got these two little hinges that come out that have got like little clamps on them and then you slot the ipad into these hinges and you clamp the clamps shut and then yep. you sort of shut the as, and imagine the ipad is then like the screen on your laptop and i was just looking at that thinking what on earth is that uh, <laughs> like, and you know I, i've been hearing about these a lot from various sort of people in the community that and i, I think oh hang on aren't these people like into apple stuff because it's like things are very like really well refined and designed and 
And how is that an acceptable solution? <laughs> well, really? that, that perhaps isn't right. But if you think, if you think about it, the processors are reaching that that level of power. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The iPad Pro, as it now is after the updates, has got all these magnets around the outside of it to sort of aid what goes on with smart covers and the the pencil and everything else. So maybe maybe this isn't you wouldn't want that sort of keyboard for Apple to produce. But if if the mechanism was, you know, it's magnetic right or something like of, of on that nature like to dock it with the base if apple brought out a base of their own and and connecting it together is as easy as just sticking the pencil on the side of the ipad um and then obviously you know you're, you're going to need a hinge and that sort of thing there or something like that to sort of get the right angle but if it connects that easily and it's perhaps leveraging the smart connector or something like that uh, to sort of do the data transmission between the keyboard and and the display. I mean, at that at that point, if they've got the the iPad thin enough, it's the right size to be able to be used like that. And the processor's kind of the right, you know, has the right sort of grunt on it to do a lot of Mac type activities and that. So if if the the OS and software can kind of facilitate the transition between the two in a decent way whether that's, you know, I, I dock it in some fashion and it goes into Mac mode, for example, you know, and, and it kind of flips a switch and AO through what we've achieved with Marzipan or whatever, you know, everything just sort of pops itself up and I've got this other sort of windowed mode on the go, for example. I'd be quite happy with that, to be honest with you, because it, it sort of feels starts to feel a bit silly when the machines are getting that powerful to then have two machines sitting there of sort of equal capability, if you like, and probably approaching equal cost after a point as well, <laughs> you know, to then sort of put one down and go to the other. And I kind of get this going on with, with my iPad Pro at the moment. You know, if I'm sat on my laptop, I've got my iPad to the side, and it's cool, and quite often I use it like that because I've got the pencil out or whatever, and I've got notes on the iPad, and I'm doing something else on, on my, my Mac. and that. That's cool. Uh, but there are times when I'm on the iPad where I just kind of want to, let's say, put it in Mac mode and go and get some work done because you can feel the power is is there. You know, it feel, feels um, snappy and everything else, and it, it just feels like an next logical step to me. I, but I think I get what you're saying in terms of, like, how potentially ugly some of the solutions at the moment look. I was going to say, everything you've just said really rubs me the wrong way. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yeah. But how, how th- I'm looking at my, my, my MacBook at the moment, and, and how thin does an iPad get have to get before it basically is just the screen that's, that's on the other side, yeah? So if you look at your, mm. your screen on your MacBook and just sort of you know, compare, well, okay, at the moment my, my uh, 2017 iPad Pro is definitely thicker, definitely thicker than that. Uh, but if it keeps getting thinner and thinner, which obviously the latest models are even thinner, yeah, you know, there's there's a point there where it, it basically is that screen, that half of the MacBook. I don't know at that point, provided they can do things in in a elegant way. I think I I personally would be quite happy to sort of have that that kind of surface like I guess convergence. Mm, yeah, I I don't know. I feel like you know there's without getting like into massively you know specifics i feel like the hinge would be a, a weird kind of thing to have to design in and then if you wanted to have 
put it into Mac mode, let's say, then I don't know whether the A12 chips could deliver sustained performance like we're seeing in these benchmarks. Um, if you're compiling loads of code, let's say, or doing a, a video render, yep. um, then you have to start considering cooling like fans. And yeah, very quickly you're kind of in this, it feels like you're back to this like uh, convertible laptop tablet things that you see running Windows. Um, I guess yep. that's why it's making me feel a bit uneasy. Um, not to mention then you kind of got two software modes like mac mode and ipad mode and mm. well maybe it's not as uh as literal as that you know i mean maybe by the time we've sort of reached sort of po- a post marzipan world maybe the, the two are you know looking quite similar kind of depending on on uh the, on the device itself you know if you've got one of the bigger ipads and you're using things in split screen apps in split screen mode for example maybe it's close enough yeah i see i see marzipan kind of as quite comforting at the moment in that it's allowing us to leverage kind of a lot of the developer expertise that has taken place on ios and can bring that to the mac but leaving the mac still very much the mac and i feel like that's a really happy medium whether that's apple's long-term strategy i know that's kind of like their current strategy um that's going to be really interesting to see I don't know. Yeah, this I just see like this whole pursuit of trying to make the iPad a laptop, and it, I'm just like, why don't you just buy a laptop if if that is what you need? I mean, if you, if you just want an iPad as you know to use as an iPad, great, get an iPad. I'm happy for you. Um, but when it's like, let's strap a keyboard to it, and then you hear people saying, oh, it'd be really nice if I had a touchpad as well because text selection's really rubbish. It's like, well, come on, like <laughs> you're asking for a laptop, and they exist. And from yeah. the Apple side as well, they're kind of saying that oh, touchscreen Macs would be not a good idea because you'd be kind of constantly sort of poking your finger forward, touching a vertical surface. Yeah. Um, so that's why we're not doing those. And then at the very same time, they're like, hey, come and buy a keyboard that kind of makes your iPad that very thing that we're saying is bad for the Mac. It just seems like there's conflicting things. Like on one hand, they're saying yeah. this about the Mac. And on the other hand, they're trying to sell you a keyboard that pretty much does that for the iPad. Um, yeah, but that happens all the time with Apple, though, right? I mean, if, if you look if you look backwards, there's the famous Steve Jobs comments about styluses. Yeah. And then look at the pencil. It's not on a phone, absolutely, um, and it's much, much more than a stylus um, is. But you know, nevertheless, they're still sort of playing in in that sort of sphere. You've got a, a stick that is is being used to interact with a touch-enabled device. It's a very good one, you know, <laughs> and it offers an awful lot to artists, and that, and that's awesome. I, I totally see the utility of the pencil, but uh, the, these things that Apple say and, and the kind of uh, slights on certain types of tech or whatever, it, it, it very often is just because they've not got their own take on at that time. You know, if you sort of look at the things in a sort of longer view. I don't know, I, I would not rule out the idea of a, a touchscreen-enabled Mac at some point, but it would be at the point at which Apple kind of have, have believed that, that they've reached the best implementation that they can achieve of that. Because, I mean, like, I've seen... Uh, touchscreen laptops with windows obviously and they never seem to work exactly how i feel they should work like they can do it absolutely and you've you've got that interaction you know but when they're in proper laptop mode disregarding the surface when you can sort of take it into tablet mode and then it behaves just like you know any other tablet or whatever and that's fine but when you're sat there just using it um, as a regular windows laptop on the keyboard and then you go to touch the screen it kind of just sort of seems like, well, okay, that's 
that's there and that's okay, I guess, but I wouldn't use that very often. So I don't know. I'd be, yeah, I'd be interested to see like Apple's take on that would, would need to either use it more or like I say, put it into this other sort of, you know, Mac mode or something where you just don't get it in the same way. Uh, yeah, I guess, I guess my general feeling with the iPad pros is as a piece of hardware, they look amazing. Um, really nice. Um, but I guess what I can't see is how I could be a pro on it. And I guess maybe we kind of like maybe need to wait for the software to, you know, iOS 13, let's say, yep. um, to kind of show us that next step. It's like we've got the hardware now and now we need the OS to kind of play catch up a little bit. But I'm just thinking like, what what could I do on it right now? I mean, I know we've seen the Photoshop demo, but that's not out yet. And neither are the reviews in either. So we don't really know yeah, you know what, what the score is there. Um, besides like writing... I, I don't honestly know what I would do with it. Um, I, no, yeah. and, and I find the the things they've demoed, the things they've showed it doing kind of interesting. So that they've shown it utilising USB-C to hook up to a 5K monitor. Mm-hmm. And then I think it's iMovie that, that is demoed as sort of being, you can turn it into like an editing um, like an editing lab or something. They, they give it a, a term. Um, so you've got the, the big environment to edit in on the screen and then you've got a scrubbing area on on the ipad still so you can still control it from there and that kind of shows you a use case with an external monitor without a keyboard using it in quite a specific way and that's that's not a bad thing that's cool to have that choice but i can't imagine anybody kind of getting the ipad pro and going yeah cool i'm going to use it like this all day for work no i can't imagine people rushing out just for that one no, in this case. it sort of becomes like if you've got the monitor sat there anyway for some reason, um, or an extra extra input to an existing monitor, for example, then yeah, cool, I might use it like that if I wanted the extra space. I also sort of feel like the OS itself just doesn't support external monitors in, in the sort of way that you would want it to, to, to enable professional workflows. So yeah, it feels like, you know, we, we're at least an OS release away from kind of leveraging that. Uh, but I, I can kind of see that it it could happen. You know, uh, there's a bit of thought there that Apple needs to put into to that side of stuff on the iPad. But uh, another OS or another two OSs away, um, and maybe we're at that sort of stage. And I think that's the sort of convergence between Mac OS and, and, and iOS that I'm kind of looking for next. You know, handling things like external displays a bit better and how apps are presented on them and the sort of interaction you then get on the device, for example. Um, whether that's, you know, the device shows you a, a, a utilizes all the space you've got for a keyboard and, and kind of gives you the touchpad over the top of it, for example. Whatever, there's, there's a load of different things they could do. But yeah, as it stands, these machines as they are, uh, to try and use them in some of these ways, I think the OS still kind of lets it down. So yeah, I, I yeah. can kind of see your argument there. It's it's not quite ready for, for you to use in that sort of way, potentially doesn't mean it's not not there for an awful lot of people you know if all you're kind of doing is writing or you're using the pencil side of it then it's fantastic um, yeah definitely if, if i was just a writer and you know was into my drawing that it'd be a phenomenally compelling device um yeah like i'm, I'm not against the ipad i kind of sound like i am against the ipad but i'm not, <laughs> I'm not against the ipad for everyone I, I just can't see how i would use it i mean i bought two of them and they just end up as like basically taking the same use as uh, the kind of uses that i use my phone for on a bigger screen browsing browsing reading yeah bit of youtube maybe so for me i feel like 
probably like the, the entry level iPad that we saw at that education event is the sensible choice. Um, I just don't know what is. I would get out of a Pro. So I, f- I feel like <laughs> whenever I talk about the iPad, I sound really grumpy. But um, yeah, I, j- I just can't see how I would make good use of it. I mean, could, I, could could I podcast on it? Do you think like do uh, what we're doing now? Again, probably not in quite the way that we're doing in terms of being able to record the audio to a separate app. I'm not actually 100% sure. That that side of stuff the last time I checked about a year ago, uh, no, no, you can't really do it in that sort of way. I think there's a couple of apps that maybe you could use um, and we would have to sort of talk over something other than Skype and use right. a different service essentially. Yeah, but again, that that's... That software level, that's about how the audio stack is, is configured and how the device can kind of talk to it, to um, audio devices as well as how the apps kind of manage their audio. And it, it it feels like it's something that Apple could solve. But I take your point, it's not necessarily there yet. I cue a load of people kind of telling us, oh, no, you, you actually can. <laughs> and I'm using my iPad in this way. But I, I don't, like I say sort of surface level uh, a very shallow kind of exploration i don't think it's possible to use in the same sort of way as we're doing where we're, we're recording the audio off to audio hijack and we're recording skype and we're recording our own local tracks exactly well. yeah. yeah yeah but that that just feels like that's that's something they could achieve through the right kind of focus in the os and bring to us through software you know the device is not incapable of doing it in terms of its specification and, and everything else. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I kind of feel like I, I get your, your kind of grumpiness with the iPad and, <laughs> and, and people kind of trying to make it as it is today, a machine for everything. Cause it's not, it's not yet. Uh, but, but I do feel like with the right focus from Apple, it could become more of, of an all rounder. And it's, there's something else here for me. And it's a bit of a diversion from the other bits that we've been talking about, but the, the entry level now, for for the mac kind of feels like it, it's not come down in terms of cost yeah it's uh what what is the entry level now disregarding the macbook airs the old ones that are still on sale yeah so i think you're still over a thousand dollars aren't you 11.99 for the macbook air yeah so that's that's quite out of reach for a lot of people that, that you know they're, they're just starting out or they're a, a kid who kind of uh, may want to program iOS apps or whatever, so they need a Mac to go and do that. You know, to get something from the Apple Store today, it's potentially kind of quite prohibitive, depending on income and everything else. And it it feels to me like that's it, it wasn't quite like that a few years ago. Like it feels like, uh, obviously, with inflation and everything else, you know, the prices are going up anyway and you eventually with inflation you'll push past that that thousand dollar mark and it's worth the same as it was you know in five hundred dollars a few years ago or whatever i, I kind of get that but it feels like the the drawbridge has been pulled up a little bit i mean, in terms of who can access i'm just thinking back to when i bought my very first mac it was the white macbook i bought the entry level one at 699 and i've just gone onto an inflation calculator and six nine nine in two thousand and seven is now today worth nine hundred and sixteen. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I suppose you could say that that six nine nine laptop MacBook that I bought, given that it was like literally the bottom of the range, you could say that 
you know, the old gen MacBook Air is roughly the same price, give or take, what's it, about 80 quid with inflation? Yeah. Um, yeah, but I take your point, though. It's It does feel like everything's being, like, squeezed and squeezed, and we're slowly, like, you know, that average selling price that Apple are trying to achieve is just getting higher and higher and higher, right? Yeah. So, so, uh, so my, my, my point there, uh, kind of linking back to the iPads, though, is that it kind of feels like, well, okay, if you want that kind of entry level, to computing then the ipad becomes a choice rather than a mac and that's great value isn't it it is provided you only want to do what the ipad can do today on it you know if if, if you want to have a machine that you could program an ios app on for example you cannot use that ipad for that today and so yeah i mean i, I totally take your your kind of uh grumpy mac user position as it were or however you want to frame it babe um prod prod um totally take that that point from you with where they are today but from that end of this from the other end of the scale if i wanted as a as a hypothetical as a kid with not a lot of income but i've I've saved you know or or got a saturday job or whatever and i've i've got the cash together to go and get i can get that ipad it's frustrating to me today that 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 person cannot then go and program on it. So you've got a device, but you can't program the applications that you're running on that device. And and I think with where the processors are for the iPad, they're certainly getting capable of that. You know, I mean, I might be waiting quite a bit longer on some of the old, on some of the the lower end models, but on the the current on today's iPad Pro. I'd be really interested to see some sort of version of Xcode that's optimized for those processors and see how that ran, you know? And so, I don't know, I guess I just, I feel, feel like convergence wouldn't be a bad thing if it's kind of opening up the range of things that people can do on these devices. And it's then letting more people participate in, in making apps and doing more things on, on these devices as well. And if that kind of comes at the cost of, of some sort of elegance with the Mac, then I'm I'm not so sure I mind, provided it's kind of letting people into the field. Yeah, I, I don't know. So, so for me, that that's part of the reason I want to see the iPad kind of become more Mac-like as well. You know, because then you've got that device, you can program on it, you can make I, iOS apps as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. A, a Mac would be nice beyond that. You know, just in terms of 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 the power that I would assume a Mac would have in comparison over the course of time. You know, if these chips so when you say this, are you talking about the base level iPad, as in like just just iPad or iPad Pro? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. Because uh, the iPad Pros, I mean, you get a twelve point nine base model. What's that? A thousand dollars? Yeah, you're into that price range, aren't you? Absolutely. Yeah, it would have to be the base level iPad to be able to kind of do that. And mm. I, I, I guess I've, I feel like it's uh, it would be acceptable for it to be hellishly slow as long as it could basically get the job done. You know, in the same way as people use MacBook Airs as, as entry-level devices to Xcode. Yeah, that's fair. And I suppose in a couple of years' time, like the A12X would have filtered down to that kind of bracket of product anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So over time, you're going to see that, I suppose. But, you know, it's kind of like you think back to the iPhone 3G after two years, it was really slow because the, the, the pace of improvement on the OS, it's like those poor little CPUs couldn't keep up. But now... Yeah. Say this iPhone 10 I've got, five years' time, it could well be keeping pace with the way the software's been evolving because it is just in its nature a much more powerful chip. Yeah. Um, 
so like once you get an A12X filtered down to the base iPad, you know, you could start seeing what you know what what you've just described there. You could start seeing, I suppose. So I I don't know. I, that's that's part of why I kind of sort of see convergence as being a good thing. Is that sort of well, you've got a device. It's got this this chip that's really you know, quite, it's capable of quite a lot of things. Can we open up the software so that people can do these other things with it? But I take your point. The the existing implementations that people are kind of playing with to sort of achieve this sort of uh, almost Mac like um, ability with the iPad, the, the solutions are, are quite ugly at the moment, and and the software just isn't really supporting it in a in a good way. Uh, so. Yeah, I think you you just have to kind of judge products on what they can do today rather than judging them on what they could be. Um, yeah, as we sit here today. I mean, yeah, I guess that's kind of why I feel the way I feel. But for today, at least, a, a Mac is still a Mac, and an iPad definitely isn't. <laughs> Crikey, we went on a bit there, didn't we? We did. We 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 kind of we we disagreed, and we do disagree. I think. In, in oh, yeah, ways. I think we definitely do. Yeah, but I'm not sure that's a bad thing. It's sort of a case of well, I I kind of I think by the time Apple do anything about this it's probably going to be all right. Yeah, you know, yeah. like if, if it was okay, ta-da, iOS is dead and macOS is dead and we've got Apple OS. Um, or Bridge if, OS or whatever, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then, you know, this is this is what it looks like and it, it probably looks a bit weird at um, WWDC, you know, and then lo and behold, this time of year, they unveil the, the next wave of devices and it suddenly makes sense. And yeah, then, I and guess then, I just feel protective over the Mac. That's probably what a lot of <laughs> I can appreciate that. But then have you listened to um, the podcast that Renee Ritchie did with that guy that introduced the Mac Mini on stage? No, that sounds... He's the head of Mac marketing and I know he's a marketing guy and he's going to say stuff that reassures people like me because that's kind of his job. But um, there was was just something he said that like in his 30 years at Apple, he's he's never been more excited about the Mac and that he's never seen such like, you know, vigorous commitment to it or something. Um, Mm. And I know he's a marketing guy, but I don't know, that just kind of like seemed like he was kind of on my side a little bit when you were saying that, which again is probably the exact reason why he said that stuff. So people like me would be like, oh, thank goodness. But (laughs) but yeah, just kind of on the record kind of saying, yeah, like the Mac is a thing and it's going to be a thing for a long time. Well, they're they're still making them and they're still supporting them. And there's 100 million users now. Yeah. 100 million active users is a big business. So yeah, very much. And, but I think like, the the potential of um of a bit of convergence between the two for on the Mac side of the fence it's things like like Marzipan and, and having more apps potentially come across under yeah. that. And that for me is a positive. You know, okay, the quality of those apps might be dubious at the moment in terms of what Apple's done so far, but I think in another couple of years or whatever, it will be seen as a benefit because it's killing electron apps at that point yeah. and stuff like that so great and as an ios developer that's it's also fantastic for me i can potentially bring my app over brilliant so i can see like you know the positives of convergence coming back to the mac there and i don't know yeah i guess i don't really think that convergence means the mac has to die i think for me it's more about letting letting these new other devices kind of be able to just do that bit more when i use my ipad and I love it. You know, I noodle about on that in the evenings and it's 
still super snappy, and I'm sure it'll still feel pretty snappy this time next year with the new iOS as well. And I reach a point where I, I kind of I think about what I'm programming with GoVJ, and I kind of just want to boot something up and add a little bit or tweak a button or do something, yeah? And yeah. I can't do that on that device at the moment, and it really annoys me, you know, because I, I kind of have to... Well, if I want to do that, I'd basically have to come across the other side of the house and go back into proper work mode, and I can't just kind of mess around and, and scratch about with it too much. And that yeah, that annoys me. Because I know it's it should be basically capable of doing some level of that, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I guess I just want to see both devices kind of be true to themselves. I think that's where I come down on it. Like I, I love the Mac because of what it does so well, and I also like the iPad for what it does so well, but I'm just not really in the market for it um, yeah. right now. But I take your point. It would be nice to to have some kind of way just to quickly do something like you just described there with your app. Um, I mean, I'd be, be happy even if that was just I've got a version of, of Xcode or whatever you want to call it by that point on the iPad that can talk back to my Mac across the network, you know, and I, I've got a nice editor on the ipad but actually the workload's been offloaded to the mac that for my use case regardless light yeah regardless of what we were saying about accessibility to the platform and that end of stuff for me personally as somebody who will still run a mac yeah that that would suit me really quite well you know a mac mini with multiple processors uh acting as a build server and then i can noodle about from wherever on the ipad and kind of do this these small edits and stuff yeah, I do worry that there's maybe like a narrative going around amongst kind of the people that are writing the articles that the iPad is like a pro device, but it's kind of like they're they're writing it because they're able to use it as a pro device, kind of just as writers. It's pro for them already, yeah. Um, yeah, and it's kind of like the iPad is now a pro device. I'm like, yeah, but all you're doing is word processing. <laughs> <laughs> there's a bit more, bit more needed, yeah. And 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 I try and think of like what I do. As, as like an iOS developer on my Mac, and I've got loads of Windows open, I've got Affinity Designer, I've got Finder with all my resources, and I'm switching between web browsers to Stack Overflow. I mean, just imagine yep. that on iOS as it is today. It's just like, oh, no way, no way. <laughs> but um, sure, like run Ulysses or whatever and have a nice distraction-free writing environment. Sure, that's, it's not really pro though, is it? Okay, we'll call that a wrap. If you've enjoyed today's show, it'd be great if you could leave us a review on iTunes or if you could leave us a recommendation in Overcast by hitting that star button. That will help us reach even more like-minded people. Um, Also, we have our Slack channel. We'd love to invite you to join. Our hope is it can be a really great place for fellow developers to come and hang out. If you'd like to join, uh, just leave us a message on Twitter at WFRpodcast and we'll get you signed up. So, Dave, before we run off, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at DWRoboHeads, that's RoboHeads spelt with a Z. And you can find my apps at RoboHeads.com, again that's RoboHeads spelt with a Z. How about you Dave? You can follow me online at DaveNot.co.uk or on Twitter, I'm at underscore DaveNot. 